definitely gotten accustomed to having better sound quality. We may just have to suck it up this week. You know, hey, it's you know mid season. A lot of adversity, you know, people down. You got to play a little banged up. You're getting a lot of close scores out there. Maybe this is one of our unexpectedly close score games where people give us side eye and take away some top 25 points. Greg has already given the coaching cliche, and we haven't even gotten into the podcast. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. Hell, it be the most fun division of college football. We have had a great season so far. We welcome you to podcast number 314, season 16, episode 14, or the podcast for October 10 of 2022. And I wish you a happy 10-10 for all of you down at Grinnell who celebrate. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who runs D3Football.com, who... When faced with three big games, all within a, a few hours drive of me, now I just plug in the laptop to one screen, other laptop to the other big screen, pull up the Wyak Roku app on the TV and watch all of them at the same time. It was that kind of day. And I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at d3football.com. And my screen availability, not quite as much uh, this weekend as it usually is, but that's okay. I got to watch a really exciting and wild afternoon of football. I got back in front of my laptop just in time to see some really crazy results and some really important results. Yeah. Saturday afternoon, there's this like, feels like a 10 minute span in which Trinity Birmingham Southern has this amazing dramatic finish. Uh, Warburg and central looked like it was going to be one going away by Warburg and then it became a football game again. And then if you weren't done with that, I think kind of in the middle of that, Wisconsin Oshkosh and Wisconsin River Falls, two teams ranked within one spot of each other, went down to the wire. Man, I just feel like we have been blessed with so many great Division Three football games this year, Greg. It's just crazy. We have been. The games have been great. The competition has been great. Uh, the games that we talked about just now, you know, we we're watching Trinity and Birmingham Southern trade leads in the last minute of the game. Wartburg and Central. Central comes back to get in the game, get a lead against Wartburg in the game. Wartburg responds with a couple of touchdowns. Looks like that game is over, but Central scores. They get an onside kick, and they score again and tie the game at 28 before Wartburg gets one more score to win that game, 35-28. to 28. Takes a snap, hands it off to Clawson, and he's into the end zone. Touchdown, Wartburg, 22 seconds remaining, and the Knights take a 34-28 lead. Well, Trevor, this has been a battle. I mean, this has been, you know, when, when it was 10 nothing, you didn't really think so, but this has been a great football game. All of this happening in the same 10 minutes kind of had to feel a little bit like week 11 last year where we had some crazy games going on around the country with playoff implications all coming down to the end at the same time had that kind of feel to it but yeah another another week where the the games that we spotlighted to be really good turned out to be really good they did indeed not always does that happen right sometimes a game on paper looks awesome turns out to be a dud i'm not sure that any of these three games were expected to be duds they all turned out to be great games. I think we're talking about the Warburg central game, the game that was so important that last week 
in the recording session for this podcast anyway, I told Greg we should do Wartburg Central predictions separately in quick hits this week. And then because of space, because it was already a 74-minute episode, I left that on the cutting room floor. Greg went and ran with it anyway, which is cool that we all got to be on the record saying Wartburg would beat Central and in many cases going away. And for one brief shining moment or maybe two possessions in the fourth quarter, Greg, that's what it looked like on Saturday. Wartburg went down at the beginning of the fourth quarter and then scored twice in a row, got a couple of stops from Central, and you thought the game was over, and that is not how it ended. No, not at all. Central gets a big 49-yard touchdown pass to get back within one score. Then they get an onside kick. One of those perfect, if you could ever draw it up and practice it this way all the time, onside kicks, one bounce, two bounce, shoots way up in the air. Uh, Central picks it up really right at about that 10 yard space that it has to go in. There was a lengthy conversation there about, I assume, did it go 10 yards or not? It did. Central got the ball. They would go down and score again to tie the game. And then Warburg responds uh, again, like they did when they went down at the start of the fourth quarter, 14 to 13, they responded again and got the game winning score. Interesting. You know, just the way that central chose to handle this game offensively. You know, Cooper Downs with the big game last week in relief this is the guy who transfers from from St. John's was not going to get playing time behind Aaron Severson like he played in the, the game against St. Scholastica for St. John's in 2021. That gives you some idea as to uh, where, you know, in the Johnny's pecking order he was through the five touchdown passes in the third quarter last week to gain some notoriety on this podcast as well. Got the start. You know, and then Brady Ketchum, the guy who's been kind of the guy for Central coming into this season. Of course, both of those guys, you know, with with big shoes to fill may not have worked super great necessarily for the first three quarters, but worked really well for the Dutch in the fourth. It did. And toward the end of the game where they had a chance, maybe uh, at the end to throw a Hail Mary, you thought you might go with the, the bigger guy, Cooper Downs, who might be able to sling it all the way down there, but Ketchum really kind of had the hot hand there at the end of the fourth quarter, and they rode him to the end. Weren't quite able to get that score to tie at the end, but yeah, Central playing musical quarterbacks there in a way that you don't see very often and doing it really at, at a pretty high level. So Warburg gets that W. We noted, right, that this is the first time Warburg had trailed all season was that spot in the fourth quarter. Nobody had scored points on a Warburg before the fourth quarter and central did that that's not unexpected uh they also scored points before midnight they scored points on saturday you know those are a little rare against warburg this year i thought when you and i and i think some of the other members of our team here at d3football.com kind of felt like warburg should be a little higher central maybe at number 24 even might have still been a little too high people were hanging on voters were hanging on waiting for this game and then when you see the results of the top 25, as you're listening to this podcast, you know that finally some of those voters have made that adjustment that a couple of us made a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I think if you look looking ahead at where your Wartburg might slot, where the top 25 usually slots a ARC champion, and not that Wartburg has won the ARC yet, but you know, looking over the last four weeks of the season, it's hard to hard to find a, a real challenger for Wartburg in the rest of their ARC schedule. I think you'll see Wartburg rise up a little bit higher. They'll probably get ahead of that 16 sort of ceiling that they have bumped into. We talked about other games going on, uh, going big during that time. Um, 
when I'm talking about my top 25 poll, we might talk about adjustments here in a second, but uh, you know, the, uh, the way in which that Trinity Birmingham Southern game came down to the final minutes, I am watching that game and I do not have a rooting interest. I just enjoy good division three football. And when Tucker Horn found Carter self out beyond the defense and he caught that ball, cause I did not think that he was going to hang on to that ball. I thought it was just, you know, an inch too far beyond him. I mean, I let out a big hoop and holler at home just cause I love a great play and I love a great finish and I love a great story. And that is what we got in that game. Fourth and five. Horn looking deep. Has a man. Catch is made by Carter Touchdown! Self. Touchdown, G! Oh, my goodness. What a play by Carter Self. Tucker Horn hitting him right in stride. And this crowd is going wild. Touchdown, Trinity. And that should put one in the win column. Absolute madness here in San Antonio. What a throw, and again, what a catch over the middle, the over the shoulder, just barely hauling it in with the fingertips. This is turning into a really good series between Trinity and Birmingham Southern. It's been a difficult one for Birmingham Southern in the last two meetings. Last year, Birmingham Southern scored with 23 seconds left to play. Another great game toward the end of last season. They score with 23 seconds left to play. They, get, they cut that lead to 28 to 27 against Trinity. And then the Panthers went for two at home. Trinity was able to stop that try and they won the game 28 to 27. This year looked like the Panthers were going to return the favor and score in the final minute to go ahead uh, until that tremendous throw by Tucker Horn and the better catch by Carter. Self. I'm with you. I thought that ball didn't have quite enough air under it. I thought he was going to out throw Carter Self just a little bit there. That ball stuck on his fingertips, hauled it in, ran the rest of the way in for that touchdown with under 20 seconds left. What a great win for Trinity. That's a tough, tough loss for Birmingham Southern. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about this game coming up in a little bit in our Fast Five. But I want to talk top 25 implications for a second. This is an, an instance in which, you know, you look at this game and I don't know. I hear people say style points don't count. F that, man. If you're in the top five or you want to be in the top five or you want to be in the top 10, even in division three football, you got to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, but you got to beat them in the way you're supposed to beat them. And I had already had kind of a moment of reconsideration on Trinity in the middle of the week already. As the season started, it's like, here's your Mary Harden Baylor. Here's your Harden Simmons, which I felt very highly about. Here's your Wheaton and your Trinity down here, right? And, you know, elevating Trinity over Wheaton after that non-conference win early in the season, feeling like Trinity and Harden Simmons on paper are pretty close to each other, even even though they're not playing each other. What I did not do after Mary Harden Baylor and Harden Simmons played or after, you know, Wheaton lost to North Central is I did not go back and reevaluate Trinity. Trinity did something which I don't love to do. They floated up on my ballot and... You know, I think we mentioned on the pod last week, Trinity's number five on my ballot. And then I went back and looked at it. I was like, Ooh, I didn't feel quite so good about that about Wednesday or so. And I felt even less good about that with about, you know, 58 seconds left in the game on Saturday. And I only feel slightly better about it. You know, now that that game is done, the pollsters on this poll, none of them are going to hear this until after, you know, they've cast their ballots and the top 25 is out. But this is a group that's typically pretty good about reevaluating teams after narrow losses 
that are unexpected after narrow wins that are unexpected and not just like upset wins or upset losses. And I, I will be doing the same. I have done the same for Trinity this week, just a little bit. This is a week where I reevaluate a lot of things where I kind of chop it up and start over based on a half a season's worth of results. I'm going to, you know, sort of let go of some things that I had thought I knew before the season started and maybe had been clinging on to a little bit too long. So you're going to look at some results from Trinity over the last couple of weeks in this game that, you know, they really won by, by a fingertip. Look at that versus other teams in the top five or six or seven and maybe maybe do some adjustment there with with Trinity. But Trinity with the win, you know, they still remain undefeated in the region. They have some good results that are going to be, you know, results against ranked opponents. You know, there's still a good chance that Trinity could wind up ranked first in region three and could host maybe a Harden Simmons or a UMHB early in the playoffs and really get a chance to prove that, you know, that they belong in that top five, top six. We will talk about the other of those three big games that came down practically simultaneously on Saturday in just a moment. But we can't go any further into this podcast without thanking some of the people who really make this podcast possible. They are our supporters. They are our financial supporters using the Patreon service. Patreon allows people to kind of subscribe or give a regular donation on a monthly basis to people who create things, people who do art, people who create websites or that sort of thing, people who write, people who make podcasts, for example, like the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. And we're very thankful for the large number of people who do that to support this family of websites and this podcast on a monthly basis. Our Patreon subscribers, they really help fuel all of the D3Sports.com family of sites. But during football season, we see that support manifested in that regular cycle of coverage that our readers get throughout each and every week. We got features columns around the nation, on-site coverage on Saturdays, the live scoreboard on game day. All of these things are made possible by our Patreon supporters. If you support or if you enjoy D3Football.com and all of the coverage that our site provides, consider joining our group of Patreon subscribers or support the site with a one-time donation. Maybe you're already a Patreon subscriber, and if so, thank you so much. We appreciate all of you. And you can continue to support D3Football.com by spreading the word to your fellow fans at your next home game. You can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash D3Sports. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash D3Sports. In addition, there's some bonus content there. I went through and did a kind of breakdown of my top 25 ballots a few weeks back. A couple weeks ago, did a just a deep dive of the top 25 in general and how people were voting. And then last week, we literally had me and Greg and Keith talking for a good 20 minutes about more things about the top 25. But you can support that and join this community by going to patreon.com slash d3sports. Or if you want to give us a one-time donation, you can go to d3sports.com slash help. All right, so all of this is going on and semi under the radar on Saturday, if that's even possible, a game between the number 16 team and the number 17 team in the country. River Falls beats Oshkosh for the second year in a row. They win 27 to 24. Oshkosh, strange start to the game for them. They went down 17-3, like they called two timeouts on the in the first 12 minutes of the game or so, and then came back, tied it up. River Falls took the lead. Michael Brown finished it off for River Falls by intercepting 
Titans quarterback Kobe Bernhaber twice in the fourth quarter and River Falls sent its crowd home happy. I have yet to be to that new stadium, by the way, which is not all that new anymore. I need to get my butt back over to River Falls. Anyway, just another fantastic game going on in the midst of all of this, dare I say, chaos on Saturday. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Yeah, you know, just another week in the in the WIAC. Just another another week, another top 25 matchup. Uh, this was a, a good one, as you expect, out of this league week in and week out. And the wagon got a little unhitched there for UWO early on. But then, you know, uh, they got it together, took a lead. River Falls, though, you, I mean, you got to give them a lot of credit and what the work that Matt Walker's doing over there. River Falls, they are 2-0 in the WIAC, the only other 2-0 team, Whitewater. And so now you can sort of set your sights on Whitewater River Falls, possibly for a, a WIAC championship down the road. Greg, one of the things that I had in my notebook for possibly putting you on the spot this week is uh, say something nice about Matt Walker. If you say, and you did it, congratulations. We didn't even need to do that. I just say that because, you know, Greg is a, is a Wabash grad so much so that his Twitter handle is at Wally Wabash and, you know, Matt Walker used to coach at DePauw. He did with some success, Matt. Um, he did, he did well. He won, he won the bell game, the very first bell game in 2008, uh, Eric Rayburn's first year, Wabash was ranked, I think all the way up to number three. And then. Matt Walker's DePaul Tigers team came in uh, to Greencastle. I think you might have been at that game, in fact. I've been to a game in Crawfordsville. I've not been to a Greencastle game yet. Yes, this was that was uh, that was in Crawfordsville. Well, then, yes, maybe that happened. There you go. That sounds right. Like the first year I lived out in the Midwest. I think that's a that's a thing that I did. Yeah. Yeah. And DePaul won that game handily and then didn't win uh, the next seven. So. Uh, things even out as they should wouldn't be fair to not give Matt Walker credit. I mean, river falls was pretty routinely at the bottom of the WIAC when, when he got there and has really turned that team around and into a legitimate contender in the WIAC. Now river falls having success in the WIAC, the likes of which it has not had since Adam Cowles was the quarterback for the Falcons. And they ran the wishbone back in the mid to late nineties. See you all met. See you all met. See you all met. Back on Fast Five here. We're talking with Tucker Horn, winning quarterback at uh, Trinity University with that game against Birmingham Southern, which we've already talked about in this podcast. Tucker, first off, congratulations. Secondly, I just got to start right from the top. Did you think you had put that ball in the right spot for Carter Self to run under it and then run away for the touchdown? You know, that, a lot of kudos to that kid. That kid was in his first start. That's his first touchdown of his career. You know, we work a lot in practice, so I just – went through our normal routine and um, trusted Carter to do his job. And he did a great job, made a great play. Um, and that's what it takes to win those kind of football games. Is that your primary read on that play? Or is that somewhere through your progression that you see him? It's through progression. It's um, a lot of our stuff that we do is just based on the defense that um, is given to us. And then we adjust there, um, we go through our progressions from there. But um, based on their defense, that was one of my first reads. And uh, again, kudos to Carter. Great job just doing his his responsibility. What was the mood like on the sidelines after Birmingham Southern hit, hits that big pass? They get down to the one-yard line. They're in the end zone one play later. What's it feel like for you guys as the offense getting ready to go back out there? We were excited, um, truly. I mean, I think there's a little bit of nervousness, nervousness in there, but 
um, our word of the week was confidence. And we, we told ourselves that we were going to never let our confidence waver. We're a good football team. We can hang with anybody in the country. And uh, we were really excited as an offense to um, get back out there. The defensive guys were coming and patting us on the back saying, hey, we trust y'all. We're glad this is in y'all's hands. And um, it was really cool to have a sideline of support where there was just no doubt. You'd been hit pretty hard earlier in the quarter. I think in that very same quarter, kind of got off the field a little slowly. How how were you feeling after that at that point, just like, kind of like physically? You know, that's part of the game. That's part of what I love. Um, you know, I, I got hit a couple times, but our O-line honestly did a great job. That's just kudos to BSC. They're a heck of a football team. They put a heck of a defensive game plan together. And, uh, you know, I don't think their record shows it, but – you know, that is a playoff level football team. They barely lost to Huntington, barely lost to us. They are a very, very good football team. And I think if those were, if those uh, results were flipped, I think they would be touted very highly in a lot of people's minds. In the time that you've been at Trinity, the atmosphere around the football programs really amped up. You know, they rebuilt the stadium, all sorts of things. Tell us a little bit about what that's been like to watch go on around you. Coach Urban has done a great job with um, administration with Trinity and getting, you know, alumni to give back. Um, we have great alumni who are very supportive of the football program and to see the football cro- program just grow around um, Trinity. You know, um, we have our new field, we have our new scoreboard, we have our new stands. Um, they're in the process of getting a field house approved um, and uh, at the opposite end of the field of the scoreboard. Um, but it's been really cool to just be a part of, um, the rebuilding of this program, you know, the seniors before us have had really started us down this track. Does coach ever talk about playing in the stag bowl, what that was like? He talks about um, trying to get back to that standard. That's been our, that's our goal. Um, you know, we take it one week at a time, but you know, there was a lot of standards set in the early two thousands and, you know, we, you know, Trinity might've gotten away from that a little bit, but you know, coach Herb has always been a big believer in getting back to the standard and, the things that it takes to to get to that standard are the same things that it took back then. You know, lots of hard work, um, lots of championship preparation every single week. And um, he does a great job of communicating that to the players. You guys won at Birmingham Southern by one last year. You won by three at home yesterday. Safe to say that this is one of the big rivalries for you guys now in this conference? Yep. I know that Trinity hasn't been um, in the SAA, you know, forever, you know, moved in over a decade ago, but, you know, BSC is a great, great football program there. Every, every, honestly, every football program in the conference is great, but BSC does it the right way. They are, um, you know, whistle to whistle competitors. They're a great football team led by a great coach. You know, we see a lot of ourselves in them, meaning that, you know, we see a lot of fight. They never believe that they can lose. They always believe they can win. And, you know, I respect the heck out of those guys. How long do you get to focus on and enjoy the Saturday win before you're looking at what's next on the schedule? Cliche, but we have the 24 hour rule. You know, we celebrate for 24 hours, um, really congratulate everybody on their performances. Then Monday, we're, we're right back at it. We're cleaning stuff up because, you know, we missed a lot of opportunities in that game. Um, and I think BSC did as well. But we, you know, the cards fell right. But as, as far as moving forward, no, one week at a time. The past is not going to affect our future, and we can't look too far ahead because we're going to play a bunch of really good teams that are gonna, going to give us their best shot um, each week moving forward. We just can't overlook a single team because they're all good. It is such a quick conversation, but have heard nothing but great things about this guy and obviously, a uh, once again, a great performance on Saturday. 
Yeah, he, you know, he really got beat up pretty good in that BSC game. He slow coming off the field a couple of times there in the fourth quarter, but he picked himself back up, put the chin strap back on and went back in and made that 43 yard touchdown pass to Carter Self to get the victory and keep Trinity's SAA undefeated season alive. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. Time for game balls, and my game ball is going to. All right, well, it's been a while, but I'm going to pull a Keith McMillan here. I'm going to give out two game balls. Both of them are going to Carnegie Mellon defenders in a game in which the number 18 ranked Tartans survived at Waynesburg by a 27 to 20 score. One of them is going to cornerback Adrian Williams, who's you know kind of tiptoeing of the boundary on Saturday and hauling in of an interception at the Tartans 22 yard line, secured the narrow victory with about 19 seconds left. The other is going to go to linebacker Robert Curry. Six tackles for loss, two sacks helped CMU get away with that win. One of those tackles for loss came in a third down in Tartan's territory that turned a third and one into a punt. Another was a strip sack, which led to a CMU touchdown. One of them was a stop on first and goal from the two that eventually forced Waynesburg to settle for a field goal. And then Corey had a pass breakup even on third and seven from the 11 that forced Waynesburg to settle for another field goal. Impactful game all the way around for Corey and in the biggest moment for Williams. And that is why they get my game balls. Ooh, that's, that is a monster game from, from Robert Corey. Uh, my game ball is going to go to UW River Falls quarterback Caleb Blaha. In a top 25 showdown with UW Oshkosh, Blaha carried the Falcons to a 27-24 win. Blaha completed 18 of 32 passes for 172 yards and one touchdown. He also rushed 34 times for 143 yards and two more touchdowns. Blaha accounted for all three Falcon touchdowns and his 315 yards of total offense exceeded Oshkosh's total output by 26 yards. And for his big offensive day and a key WIAC win, Caleb Blaha takes my game ball. I guess tune in on Tuesday morning to see if Blaha returns to the D3football.com team of the week. He was our quarterback out of 240 quarterbacks in Division Three football. It is really, really difficult to make that list as a quarterback. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. But that may be the most incredible stat. It's not not my stat anyway, but... I'm looking at Friday night's game between Rowan and TCNJ. These are two big rivals in the New Jersey Athletic Conference ever since they were known as Glassboro State and Trenton State, or frankly, after they were known as Glassboro Normal and Trenton State Teachers College or whatever they were back in the, you know, the, 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 the way back. They played a classic matchup this weekend as well. And my stat is the 12, count them 12 players who are recorded as catching passes for TCNJ in the loss. You see often, frankly, in box scores, 12 guys carrying the ball. This is often in a game, which is, you know, like, I don't know, say, let's say 98 to nothing. You get a bunch of guys carrying the ball because you're trying to run out the clock. This is TCNJ finding 12 different guys as they are trying to desperately win this game on Friday night against their big rival. Malin Jasinski caught seven passes and TJ Sheehan caught six, two of them for touchdowns. There were 10 other players who caught between one and 11 passes. It turned out that all of that spreading around of the ball that Trevor Bob did was not enough. 
even though he was 30 for 43 passing for 349 yards. Rowan held onto the ball for 38 minutes and seven seconds, and they had the ball at the end. That's when Jake Hurler booted through a 36-yard field goal on the final play of the game, a kick which gave Rowan a 23-21 to win. And here's what that sounded like. So here we go. Jake Hurler to try and win the ball game here for the profs. Hurler, the junior from Freehold. The snap is low, but the kick is yeah! up and good. The kick Let's is up go. and good, and the profs win it in the final second. Unbelievable ending. Profs win. Let's go. Let's go. This is a huge stamp on Jay Acorsi's career. The profs are able to finish this game on a win. Storybook ending. ending. These tales will be told forever in this Rowan locker room. Claremont Mud Scripts knocked off Chapman 28-6 on Saturday. That win is the Stags' third consecutive win in the series, but that is not my stat. Sophomore running back Justin Edwards is having a nice career versus Chapman. His 26 carries for 156 yards and two scores was a modest outing this weekend. In three total games against Chapman, Edwards has now rushed 96 times for 571 yards and nine touchdowns. That's the kind of output that will keep Chapman up at night for another two years and is also my stat of the week. My favorite stat from that game is something that is so unique, I don't even know how one would track it. Claremont Mudscripts came out of that first quarter with a 7-0 lead, and they had not had a single offensive snap the entire first quarter. Chapman possessed the ball for essentially the entire first 15 minutes of the game, except for the time in which Kirby Baines intercepted a Jack Alexander pass and returned it 72 yards for the touchdown. So Chapman had the ball for the first 8.05 of the game. Then there was a pick six. Obviously, Claremont kicks back off to Chapman. Chapman runs out the final 6.49 of the first quarter and the first couple of plays of the second quarter before they kick a field goal with 14.48 to play in the second quarter. You go the first 15-plus minutes without the ball. Still come out of that time with the lead. And by the way... Uh, When all was said and done, the time of possession was pretty even, uh, just about 30 minutes for each of them. So what a strange way to start off a football game. And for Claremont Mud Scripps, a not-so-strange way to end it, as you mentioned, with a win against Chapman. It's time to go region to region and highlight some of the top stories around Division Three from this past weekend. And we're starting with who's on the run in the one. For me, on the run in the one is Delaware Valley. As the Aggies improved to 6 0, 4 0 in the MAC with a 21 to nothing blanking of Lycoming on Saturday. Louis Berrios IV has really grown into the starting quarterback spot for Delval this season, and he threw for three touchdowns on Saturday, passing for 194 yards and running for 79 in the win. And in the fourth quarter this week, Delval held the ball for more than 11 and a half minutes, icing out the Warriors down the stretch. Lyco was held to 121 yards of total offense. Delval now hasn't allowed a single opponent to score even in double figures all season. And the Aggies have won 40 consecutive conference games in the middle Atlantic conference. Delval hasn't lost a Mac game since Barack Obama was president. And how old am I that we now get to say these things about Barack Obama? Anyway, that is when the Aggies lost 19, nothing at Stevenson on October 22nd of 2016. Gala you know, they're always on the run, Pat. Uh, And they're on the run in the one this week after picking up a 20 to 17 win over Castleton on Saturday, the bison, they're four and one overall. They're two and zero in the ECFC. Their next two games are against zero and five Dean and one and four SUNY Maritime. So 
it isn't out of the question that they're going to be six and one heading into the pair of critical ECFC games against Anna Maria and Alfred State in their final two games of the regular season. As long as we're talking D3 and DC, I'm just going to give a quick shout out in the one as well to Catholic, which rallied from a 21-3 halftime deficit to beat WPI 24-21. Catholic and Merchant Marine have started off 2-0 in Numac play, while uh, Springfield beat Norwich handily on Saturday in its Numac opener. Greg, who's feeling blue in the two? Westminster is feeling blue in the two this week after dropping a close 17 to 14 decision at home to Washington and Jefferson. That loss drops Westminster to one and two in pack play, two and three overall, and with losses to both Carnegie Mellon and W&J. They're going to be playing the role of pack spoiler the rest of the way for Grove City and Case Western Reserve. W&J had to resort to a little trickery in the fourth quarter of that game. Receiver John Peducey took a lateral. He threw the ball downfield to Johnny O'Rourke for a 24-yard touchdown catch. Two touchdowns for O'Rourke in the fourth at a time in which the offense for WJ was struggling to get things done. As far as feeling blue in the two for me, I would add Brockport to that list. Brockport fans had been begging, I think literally begging, for some respect for the Golden Eagles this season in terms of top 25 anyway. And they had another chance go by the wayside on Saturday after Brockport lost to Ithaca 24-0 earlier in the season they also lost to the other Cortica jug rival Cortland 42 to 24 on Saturday Jaden Alfano St. John ran for 119 yards and three touchdowns Cortland ran for 149 yards which is not the things that you do against the classic Brockport Golden Eagle defense and I guess they held Cortland slightly under that average of 50 points not very much maybe we'll talk about that more coming up but uh, Cortland Goes on to win that game, 42-24. Brockport falls to 3-2, and 1-1 one and one in Empire 8 action. Frank Rossi of In the Huddle talked with Coach Fitzpatrick about this after the game. Where was all the throwing I heard about in <laughs> terms of uh, the Cortland Red Dragon offense? Were you really going through the triple option after uh, all? <laughs> no. no. Um, it's tough, you know. I, we try to have, we have a balanced offense. That's the way we try to build it. Uh, the first couple weeks of the year, we saw a lot of man coverage, a lot of one high safety, um, and we got some great throw looks. And the last two weeks, I mean, you can't play safeties deeper than what we've seen the last two weeks. And so, you know, we know we can run the ball. It's just we just had to get the right look. So we try to we try to stay balanced. We try to let the defense decide what we what we do. Now that doesn't always work. You know, Brockport's a really talented team. But, you know, we feel like if if they're going to keep both safeties out of the run fit, then the box number is even. And when we have when we can get blockers on blockers, hat on hat, then we can run the ball. And Jaden's super talented. Our O-line is well coached and, 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 and talented. Um, we have great tight ends in the running game. Pat, what's it going to be in the three? What's it going to be in the three? Well, Let's see, the ASC is going to be won by Mary Harden-Baylor, that's for sure. But I'm just kind of wondering what's up with the crew over the course of the past couple weeks. Hasn't it been kind of uncharacteristically unimpressive? We were talking about style points a few minutes ago, and maybe that's not so big a deal when you're the uh, defending national champ and that sort of thing. But is Mary Harden-Baylor in a bit of a funk? Like they only beat Austin College 38-7 to last week. They only won at East Texas Baptist 24-7 to on Saturday. ETBU's had some good seasons. I don't know that this is one of them. Just for Mary Harden Baylor to be held to 24 points, to be held to 211 passing yards, that sort of thing. It just 
I'm I'm wondering, and I'm going to be watching a little more closely, even if I'm not sure that anybody's going to necessarily challenge the crew the rest of the way. How about you? What's it, what's it going to be in the three for you? It's going to be the key gauntlet coming for Randolph Macon and the ODAC. The Yellow Jackets, they're going to face undefeated Bridgewater next week, 4-1 Shenandoah the week after that, and then 4-1 Washington and Lee the week after that. So Randolph-Macon, they could put the ODAC away by sweeping their way through those next three games. They absolutely could. They could get that kind of wrapped up early, which would be unusual for the ODAC. Greg, who's getting sore in the four? That's what the four by four's for, son. That's what the four by four's for. I think it has to be Hope getting sore in the four. One of the favorites in a, in a pretty deep MIAA, Hope was defeated 30 to 10 by Albion on Saturday, which moves the Flying Dutchman to 0 and 2 in conference play. They played a challenging schedule, but looking up at the rest of the conference with just four games to play definitely is not where many thought Hope would be after week six. So I don't know if Kenyon was sore about it, but Kenyon went to war in the four and Kenya got the score in the four as the Wolves won 28 to 21 at Oberlin. This is apparently one of those rivalries. I didn't know this where you don't even allow the opposing team, the dignity of saying their name. When Oberlin talked about this game on Twitter beforehand, they referred to Kenyon as the team from Gambier. I'm all on board for that, by the way, like when Williams calls Amherst, the defectors, for example, uh, it doesn't call them uh, Amherst or the Lord, excuse me, the mammoths. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. That's a great uh, thing about rivalries. Oberlin looked like it was going to make that indignity of not having your name stand up, right? The Yeomen go up 14-0 at the half and 21-6 after three, but then Kenyon scores 22 unanswered points in the fourth, and they rallied to win on the road 28-21. After that go-ahead touchdown, Oberlin then gets back to midfield, but Chris Allen Jr., the quarterback, is hit from behind as he throws. His floater of a pass was intercepted by Daryl Shands. Senior Ryan O'Leary had a quarter for Kenyon in that rally. He threw for two 19-yard touchdown passes in the fourth quarter alone, and he ran for a score as well. As Kenyon was not sore in the four, they got it done, winning 28-21. I've had my eyes on the North Coast Athletic Conference for over 20 years, and I didn't, I didn't know that that, that that kind of beef existed between Oberlin and Kenyon. I mean, that, I don't know that it does, but they tweeted about it on Saturday, so I guess it is. It's a thing now. Pat, who's looking alive in the five? Looking alive in the five. Well, WashU is looking alive in the five so far. Uh, A not at all close win for the Bears at home against Illinois Wesleyan 59-14 on Saturday. I say they're looking alive, and you probably heard the italics in my voice, right? Because WashU is unbeaten right now. But uh, certainly the best is yet to come in that CCIW schedule for the Bears. They play North Central on October 22nd. They play Wheaton on November 5. They could force a crazy three-way tie for the CCIW title, or they could be standing pretty in second place, or who knows? They could beat both of those teams and win the CCIW outright. But we have no idea right now. They're just at the midway point unbeaten. Yeah, Matt Rush playing really, really well for Washington so far this season. Uh, Monmouth, for me, is looking alive in the five as the Scots scored the first major victory in what looks like a four-team chase for the Midwest Conference Championship. Monmouth went up to Stag Field and knocked off Chicago 23-20 to with two late touchdowns. After Monmouth scored to make the score 20-16 to in favor of Chicago, the Maroons rolled the dice on fourth and one on their own 32-yard line. 
The Scots stopped Nicholas D'Ambrose, setting up a short field, which led to that go-ahead touchdown. The Scots also went ahead and blocked a 46-yard field goal attempt on Chicago's last possession to secure the win. We kind of thought those games would be barn burners, right? They're talking about those four teams, Monmouth, University of Chicago, Ripon, and Lake Forest. And Ripon and Lake Forest will be facing off in week seven. Greg, who's getting their kicks in the six? Pacific Lutheran is getting their kicks in the six with a second straight Northwest Conference win. The Lutes backed up last week's win over George Fox with an impressive 47 to 21 win over Lewis and Clark. PLU's fate in the Northwest Conference is going to be in play over the next two weeks as Whitworth comes to Tacoma next week and then a trip out to Linfield in week eight. Linfield on Saturday with a nice steady win at Whitworth. Linfield opened up a 21 to three lead on touchdown drives of 81, 80 and a 75 yards getting their kicks in the six. I mean, certainly people who play for a trophy known as the goat understand getting kicks <laughs> because you know, goats, right? Rivalry is Carlton and St. Olaf. And over the past quarter century, this has really been dominated by St. Olaf, but it wasn't on Saturday as the unbeaten Knights defeated the Oles 26 to seven. That win saw Jonathan Singleton break Carlton's career passing record, although he did a bunch of damage in the ground game as well as he ran for a career high 132 yards and also threw for 157 yards. Singleton finished the day with 5,561 passing yards for his career. That's where the Carlton career record is right now. Carlton guaranteed it would finish with back-to-back five-win seasons for the first time since 1992 and 1993. And they also got to end the day with one of the cool traditions in Division Three football, the walk. You may have heard, if you've heard of some of these other kind of cool traditions, it's like the Williams players after the homecoming game all walk into town and get their hair cut or get their or cut each other's hair maybe at a local barbershop in Williamstown, Mass. That's not a thing I've been to, but I've seen the walk in Northfield. The winning team of this game, the team just en masse all just walks down to Bridge Square, which is this town square in the middle of uh, Northfield, which is a town of about 30,000 people, about an hour plus south of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And there's this kind of concrete pedestal in the center of that square with a bronze eagle statue, for the lack of a better term, sitting on top of it. Traditionally, it faces a specific direction. My sense of direction in Northfield is not super good. It's generally to the west, however. And the winning team, you know, walks down, climbs up that uh, that concrete pedestal, and they turn that eagle to face whichever campus is the campus of the team that won the game. Carlton hasn't gotten to do that very often, but they got to do it on Saturday. And then also in the six, we had is upset, upset Saturday in the UMAC, right? Uh, Northwestern over Greenville. Crown scored the last 12 points to beat Martin Luther. So, you know, un, unexpected happenings in the in the UMAC this weekend. I could not have pictured Crown beating Martin Luther. I thought that was one of my locks when we were talking about uh, quick hits. And I know that we'll uh, we'll talk about quick hits more later. But I mean, Martin Luther just went to Greenville and, and lost only 30 to 27 last week. And I know, you know, Martin Luther's lost a, a lot of players from, uh, you know, some of their playoff teams and that sort of thing. And the coaches have changed and all that. But I thought Crown had just lost so much more. Uh, and I was just surprised by that, like two fourth quarter touchdowns for Crown to win at Martin Luther. That's a big win. That's a big win for Crown. For Crown, that is also the first win as Polars. So congratulations to Crown College of St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. 
there's no good segue to go from where we were just talking about to what I want to talk about next, Greg. You had the opportunity this week to talk with a couple of schools about mental health among student athletes, and it's a great column on it uh, in your Around the Nation right now. People should go to d3football.com and read it if they haven't already. I wanted to talk to you also, you know, as a Wabash guy, you know, when uh, Evan Hansen died by suicide, which I think is 2018, if I remember correctly, yeah, the conversation about mental health among college students, college student athletes, has just kind of grown more and more over the past few years. And I wanted to take a little time to talk about it and maybe have you tell us a little bit more about what you heard from schools when you talked to them for this column this past week. For Around the Nation this week, I talked to Alan Gorney, who is a graduate student at Johns Hopkins University and one of four Division Three students that were named to the AFCA Good Works team, which is for really impactful service works in their communities. Alan, what he does at Johns Hopkins, among a ton of other things that I didn't even get a chance to touch on in the column, or else it was going to be 5,000 words long, he has co-founded a peer group called Blue Jays Together, which sort of started out of the pandemic and sort of the mental health struggles or issues that student athletes had from being separated from their team and their classmates and doing everything remotely for so long. Alan took the initiative to to start a group there where student athletes that wanted to sit down and, and just talk to each other about their experiences uh, could get together and do that, started over Zoom, then everybody got back to campus. The participation in that group is spreading through Blue Jay Athletics, uh, yeah. as well as you know getting more support campus wide, and it's becoming a a group there that that students can turn to, not just to talk to their peers about you know what they're going through, but also you know ways to get in touch with professional support. And then I also had a chance to talk to. Brent McAdams and Kaylin Davis White at Pacific Lutheran in Pacific Lutheran last year, they lost a player from their team early in the season. And they've been dealing with that almost, almost a year now, exactly from the day that they lost Jordan Taft last year. And they took some time this week to talk to us about their healing over the last year and some of the mental health initiatives that they have undertaken as a as a campus and as a football team including a partnership with uh, an organization called Holinsky's Hope who just wrapped up a college football mental health awareness week where a number of schools across all divisions did various and sundry things to promote mental health awareness and just really promoting the resources that are available professionally and and locally and really just helping to promote the conversation and and break the stigma that that has existed within athletics cultures about talking about mental health and the struggles that I think everybody goes through, the ups and downs of, of just life. It's in the last four years since Evan Hansen at Wabash, it really, it seems like more and more of these initiatives are taking off on campuses everywhere. And it's been, it was really, really humbling and, and, good experience for for me personally to be able to talk to those student athletes and hear their stories and share them with everybody if you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis help is available you can call or text the national suicide prevention hotline at 988 this is now a shortened three-digit number for you 988 or you can 
chat at 988lifeline.org. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Time for the mailbag. You probably know how this segment works. We put out the call on Twitter on Saturday or on Sunday in order to solicit some questions that we might answer here on the podcast. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. This is from in the D3FB huddle at D3FB huddle. Uh, The Twitter account over there is run by James Baker, one of the co-hosts of that show. And say, I'll bite and direct this to the Minnesotan of the group. What's going on over at Carleton? They are Neskakian academics-wise, and they are one of 23 unbeaten D3FB playoff eligible teams left in the nation. How'd they get here, and will they just get creamed in weeks 9 and 10? Uh, Great question, and certainly one worth discussing. Part of this is now, this is something that is born out of the way that the MIAC schedule changed when... St. Thomas was booted out of the conference. McAllister brought its football program back in. St. Scholastica joined the conference for all sports. And then the conference split into two divisions, which allow some of the traditionally less strong programs to avoid some of the top programs so that Carleton, for example, doesn't have to play Bethel every year. Uh, St. Scholastica doesn't have to play Bethel. McAllister doesn't have to play St. John's. Hamlin doesn't always have to play St. John's. That sort of thing. It's partially just protecting some of the uh, bottom teams from getting beat up too hard by some of the top teams. Now, you may say, well, Carlton, right, they're 5-0. and They're 3-0 and in the MIAC. Am I talking about them as one of the top teams or as one of the bottom teams? And traditionally, you know, I've been a bit of a conference bottom feeder, I guess, in the MIAC, right? 0-10 uh, overall, 0-8 in the conference in 2017, 1-9, 1-7 the year before that, 1-9, 0-8. Tom Drenell's the head coach. He used to be the head coach at UW-Stevens Point. And, you know, under Jernell, they've done better. You know, they've been more competitive. They were 4-6, uh, and 2-6 six, and six in the last, you know, traditional setup of this conference back in 2019. They were 7-3, and 5-3. and three. Basically, I think that Carleton is on that exact same track this year, except that last year they lost to St. Olaf and uh, they beat Concordia Moorhead. Those results might flip. Obviously, they beat St. Olaf on Saturday. They might lose, you know, these final games down the stretch in their regular season schedule. So they've got St. Scholastica coming up next week. That should be one that they could put in the win column. They might lose at Concordia Moorhead, at Gustavus Adolphus, probably at St. John's. And then if that puts them third in that division, then in the final week crossover game, they would play Concordia Moorhead and they would travel to Concordia Moorhead again just because of the goofy way that the MIAC has kind of set up the schedule for a couple of years. So they might end up six and four, still a pretty decent year, but I think that's what they're on track for. And just, you know, so you understand, Carlton's five and oh, but the first four wins were against Crown and Minnesota Morris, both out of the UMAC, ranked the last among conferences in our conference rankings in Greg's column a couple of weeks ago. Then they started off their conference schedule at Hamlin. They had McAllister in the fourth uh, game of the season and then their arch rival St. Olaf. So it's 5-0 and on the season. One, you know, kind of pretty representative Division Three opponent and otherwise a few that maybe are not so much. But that's kind of the basics around why Carlton looks like that right now. Thanks, James, for the question. If you want to send us a question, you look for that call out on Saturday or Sunday. Respond, use the D3FB hashtag, ask something interesting. We'll answer.
Looking ahead to week seven, it's time for games to watch. And I'm going to start off by pointing out that there will be five games that you can watch next Friday night. UW Oshkosh, still ranked, but no longer number 16, will be at UW Whitewater. Johns Hopkins will host Muhlenberg. McDaniel goes to Ursinus. Dickinson hosts Moravian. And Hilbert hosts Lincoln University of California. My game to watch will be on Saturday as Carnegie Mellon heads to Washington and Jefferson. So did I pick... CMU at Waynesburg last week to be a trap game? No, you did not. Yeah. In retrospect, I probably should have seemed super trappy this week ahead of this big conference showdown. So CMU is alone atop the pack at 4-0. and but, uh, WJ at 3-1 and can take a share of first and lead CMU in a tiebreaker with a win on Saturday. This is shaping up, at least on paper, which we know are where all football games are played, uh, as being a really low-scoring game. Since Carnegie Mellon won one game this season without the benefit of any offensive touchdowns and won another in which its only touchdown came after the defense set the offense up at the one yard line. Looking forward to this game as we continue to seek clarity in the president's athletic conference. That's a great around the nation podcast word right there. Clarity. Clarity hasn't been uh, nearly as prevalent as it was probably five or so years ago. Probably should come up with a clarity drop. I don't know what a clarity drop would sound like, though. We should, there'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll mention clarity a little bit more over the next few weeks as we trickle toward the postseason. But coming up this week, my game to watch is going to be Bridgewater at Randolph Megan. This is going to be Macon's biggest test by quite a ways in 2022. Bridgewater, they've been flying under the radar a little bit as an undefeated team who has not been receiving top 25 votes. The Eagles lead the nation in turnover margin and they could spring an upset in Ashland. If their defense continues to play to their nation-leading average of just over plus three turnovers per game. On the other side, Randolph-Macon, they were sharp this week from the start, but they've had some first halves that have been a little closer than we might expect. Uh, They'll need to avoid that slow start next week to stay perfect and on track to return to the postseason. A couple of big and interesting games to watch. Otherwise, keep an eye on that Oshkosh at Whitewater game from Friday night, as well as the Muhlenberg-Hopkins game. And we've also got Linfield at Pacific. We've got Lacrosse at Eau Claire, Delval at Lebval, River Falls at Platteville, Hobart at RPI, Ripon at Lake Forest, Brockport at Utica, and Redlands at Chapman. I hear the on-the-spot music. I think you go first. Oh, all right. Pat, this week we're going to play a game called Mount Up. And what I want you to do, Pat, is I want you to tell me who will have the larger margin of victory this week, Mount Union or Mount St. Joseph? Well, I'm just happy you didn't want me to get on a horse. Uh, I was afraid this was going to be like a, a Mustangs question. From my marketing brain, you could take Mount up a future week and then turn that into some sort of uh, Mustangs reference. We got Mount Union this week. They're going to Capitol coming up. Okay, that's... Great. That's going to be, oh, we got Mount St. Joseph going to Anderson. I see. Mount St. Joseph at Anderson and Mount Union at Capitol. Rather than sit here and crunch a bunch of numbers and noting that Anderson scored 14 this week at Franklin, which is the most that they've scored all season. Capitol, of course, 0-5 by week after the loss to Otterbein. I'm just going to say this, Greg. I mean, Mount Union has shown over and over and over and over and over again that it is perfectly willing to and capable of stopping itself on offense when the opposing team cannot. And I know that, you know, you don't have to go super far back into the archives to find Mount Union beating Capital 91 to nothing. I don't expect to see that on Saturday. And therefore, 
I rely on Mount Union calling off the dogs against Capitol Well before Mount St. Joe would call off the dogs against Anderson. And I will take Mount St. Joe to have the bigger margin of victory on Saturday. Is that an upset to you? Is that not what you're expecting? I, it is a little bit of an upset. I thought you might go the other way. MSJ, they can give up some points. I agree with you that there's going to be an upper limit on where Mount Union is going to go. MSJ, they may just keep going, but they may also give up a few. So that's why it was an interesting question. It is true. Manchester scored 20 on them. Defiance scored 35 on Saturday. Uh, I don't know quite what to make of that, but I'm I'm going to stick with my reasoning and go with Mount St. Joe. That's some Im- important common opponent data there between uh right the the defiance games defiance ties the two mounts together i do they love it when we keep mentioning that i haven't heard anything about uh, mount union and strength of schedule in terms of on the spot i am taking the two newest programs who have yet to win a game these are hilbert and keystone still new to division three football which one of them comes the closest to winning a game in terms of the scoreboard on saturday what a great question. And you're going to, you're going to make me evaluate here. Lincoln of um, California. I think, a, I think a JC team from California and you know, you know, you know, my second thing is uh, JC California football.com. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Lincoln belongs to any national association of athletics at any level, but they do at least seem to be a four-year school. Uh, also, an interesting note for Lincoln, of course, they lost to the University of St. Thomas late of Division Three uh, a couple of weeks ago by the score of 43 to 6. I don't know if that's instructive or not. It could be very instructive. All right. At home, now they're going to have the, oh, they are going night game, though. They could have really upped the advantage by playing that game at noon. <laughs> right, 9 a.m. California time? Exactly. That almost got them home against uh, Willamette couple of weeks ago keystone at anna maria i've been impressed here with keystone's offense they've been getting closer and closer to wins i think keystone is going to be closer to a win this week than hilbert against lincoln of california we're writing it down keystone closer to a win hilbert only has like seven official games that actually count on the schedule but they did play brockport jv earlier this week looking at Last week, of course, I asked Greg to pick over or under in the Battle of the Bergs. Battle of the Bergs, this big wrestling rivalry between Augsburg and Wartburg. And this was to decide, in this case, of all the schools in Division Three that end in Berg, B-U-R-G or B-E-R-G, whether more or fewer, less than one of them would win on Saturday. These games were St. John's at Augsburg. Carnegie Mellon at Waynesburg, Wartburg at Central, Fitchburg at Framingham, Heidelberg at Mount Union, and Wittenberg at DePauw. Seemed only two real opportunities for a Berg to win on Saturday. Greg took a push rather than take over or under. However, over was actually the right answer as Wartburg and Wittenberg each. Not only won, they defeated top 25 teams, Wittenberg, in upset fashion, 30-7 to against then number 25 ranked DePauw. So close and yet so burgled. A number of those games wound up being way closer than than one would have thought. Last week, I had Pat play It's a Trap. It's a Trap. It's a Trap. Where he had to pick a winner in a trap game and then pick a winner of the Lobster Trap game. 
between the University of New England and Husson. Pat correctly picked Husson to get their first win of the season and retain the lobster trap, 2-0 in that series for Husson since the introduction of the lobster trap. Pat also picked UW-Whitewater to win their trap game against Eau Claire ahead of next week's game against Oshkosh. Whitewater, they did win that game 45-24 to as Pat predicted, but it was kind of trappish there for a little while with the Blue Golds trailing just 24-17 at half. Not only did I correctly win both of those games, but I put together a drop that combined the B-52's Rock Lobster with It's a Trap from Star Wars Return of the Jedi. We also look back at quick hits. You know, we make these predictions and put them out there on Friday morning, and then we call ourselves on the carpet on Monday in the podcast. Game of the week. We kind of talked about this earlier in the podcast. Everybody picked a great choice as game of the week, and we certainly had them to choose from. Birmingham Southern at Trinity, Oshkosh at River Falls, Monmouth at Chicago was also picked. Ryan Tips and I each nailed it with a pick of DePaul losing this week. This was uh, picking a top 25 team most likely to be upset. Are you sorry you didn't get on that action, Greg? Very sorry. That looked like uh, maybe a little bit of low-hanging fruit, and maybe I maybe I pulled punch punches there a little bit, trying to be a little uh, a little too objective, a little less wabashy. Yeah, you stopped always fighting, man. That's not good. In inside, inside, I was definitely rooting for DePaul, maybe to not win. Although maybe it's better if they did win. In the end, for Wabash and the North Coast, they got to win them all out anyway, including beating DePaul and keeping the bell to. Uh, get back into the playoffs this year the rest of us on that question though we all swung and missed as Albion Cortland and UW lacrosse they had no trouble in their games of the teams scoring over 50 points per game that would score the farthest below their average it was Carlton yes Carlton who scored 30 points below their average just edging out River Falls in this particular question the panel all missed on this one Carlton they don't care because they have the goat They do. They have the goat. You can see it on the front page of D3football.com on the way. It was really hard. We talked about this earlier to pick two winless teams to win on Saturday. Greg, you got one. So did Riley Zayas as uh, Geneva cracked the win column against Allegheny. But we as a whole were largely on the wrong side of the two games that featured winless teams going head to head. Crown surprises with the win over Martin Luther and Greensboro caught us looking with the win against Southern Virginia. And then you know, like I said earlier, we forced Greg to put uh, a Warburg central prediction into the quick hits. So and we all picked Warburg to win. So check six boxes there. Although central made that game a lot closer than uh, basically all of us expected. And this was around the nation podcast number 314 released on October 10th, 2022. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for all the coverage that we do all week and all season. You can support production of this podcast and the D3sports.com family of websites in general by going to patreon.com slash D3sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, a fellow alumnus, your neighbor who flies the flag of a random D3 school. Tell them about this podcast. And you can rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review these things we call podcasts. You can reach us more to talk about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Frank Rossi. Our theme music 
is a track called Power 2. It's by an artist known as DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks in this podcast as well. You can find those at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to the podcast co-founder, Keith McMillan, who has a streak of one consecutive podcast that he is not on. And thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas, who is so devoted to this podcast. He brought a microphone on a family trip to record this from the hotel. And frankly, Greg, at the end, it didn't sound all that bad. It seemed like the hotel Wi-Fi kind of held up. I did. It got better after we after we got going there. I didn't get very very much reverb or any artifacts coming back into my headset. So if they've done away with uh, 1010 at Grinnell, I know they've also done away with co-ed naked soccer at Luther and all of these other quirky little traditions. Who knows where they are? It's a good thing I have all day to edit this. And Pat, don't edit out a whole bunch so that you can be right. <laughs>